this is intro type of music. It sounds very radio when you do this, right? Sure does. It's like, uh, I should have some announcements or something. All right. One time when I listened to the radio, I actually heard them do something like this. It's great. Whoa. All right, so this is the Art Fight Club podcast, and I'm sitting here with my friend Jeff Coffin, who I haven't been able to really talk to for a while, because he's real busy. Or at least that's what he tells me. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, God, this guy's hard to, yeah. He's been busy for years. Feels like I've been busy for years. But uh, And tonight I'm not busy. Tonight you're not busy. Well, I am actually, I'm, I'm here, so here. I've got something to do. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so... Uh, if you don't know who Jeff is, I don't know who exactly I'm talking to. I'm talking sort of the ether right now. Right. It could be anybody. Could be almost anybody. With any kind of motives. Um, yeah. But anyway, if you don't know Jeff, he's a saxophone player, master, musician of Nashville and beyond. And what else do you do? Jeff, mm. you do all these, uh, okay, so you're an amazing photographer. And... I understand now you're a landlord. Like you just, you're doing all the things. Doing some of the things that other people do. You're, you're, you're a super. <laughs> I'm a super. <laughs> I'm a super duper. Super. Man. Uh, so. I teach a lot. Also, I teach at Vanderbilt. Did you know I was teaching at Vanderbilt? No. Uh, it's my third year there. It's been a while since we've seen each other. Yeah. A little too long since we've caught up. I'm not any taller. Hmm. Me neither. Yeah. I'm not sure how to respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So you've been on the road a whole lot and you're constantly moving mm-hmm. and it's like, man, I don't know. I don't know how you keep it. Like, I, I, uh, by the way, I noticed one of your, your tweets the other day was about how happy you were to hear green sleeves in the Boston airport oh, yeah. at like six in the morning. <laughs> That's true. I was walking through and, you know, I, I don't usually fly. I don't like to fly early just cause I don't like to get up that early. Mm. But uh, I had I had flown up early on a Monday, and I had rehearsals, and then I had a gig. Um, it was a big fundraiser for this really cool organization um, that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, but basically, they work with with uh, l- children with with um, uh, special needs, integrating them into the oh UnitedSound dot org, UnitedSound dot org, and so they work with children with special needs, uh, in integrating them into the music programs. Mm. And uh, there's a woman, Julie Duty, that has a um, name. It's a great name. It's a great name. And uh, she's a great, great human being also. And, and the stuff that she's doing with them. Uh, so these kids may only be able to play like one or two notes, but she integrates them into oh. the program. And what she does though is she has her students teach them. Oh. So it's like all these volunteers, volunteer hours from her students. And uh, when I met her maybe a year and a half ago, uh, her students had already had over 16,000 volunteer hours put into this program. Jeez. And it's only been around since 2014. Wow. So she goes around the country and, and uh, works to get donations for this. And, and uh, so we did a big concert at, at Symphony Hall in Boston, which was really fun. Wow. And uh, uh, to raise money for this. And, and so, uh, so, yeah, so I, I came up that morning. And then the next day after the concert, I had an early leave to go to New Hampshire to do some stuff with Yamaha. Back at the high school I had gone to and uh, through another cool organization called Donors Choose, which um, yeah. is kind of a crowdsourcing thing. And so I uh, got to have breakfast with my mom and hang out. And then I had a, a, a 6 a.m. flight the next morning to get back because I, I had to teach at Vandy. Mm. And uh, so I was up at 4 a.m. after class. Up. 
way too late and drinking way too much sake. Yeah. And uh, so, I, man, I woke up. I was still drunk the next day. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I got to the airport, and I was just like, man, this is far too early. And then, then the next thing I know, I'm hearing green sleeves coming through, you know, and it's Coltrane's this why, version. This is why it was like a transcendent, and, like uh, uh, you, were, you were still in the zone from I'm the night before. still in the zone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's crazy how, I don't know, I don't, why is, it's amazing to me that society, like we have to fight so hard to get music education in the most basic ways. Yeah. It's like, uh, I appreciate all the things that you do in that realm. Oh, thanks. Because thanks. it's, it's nuts. It's, you know, I would almost, in a weird way, I would almost rather math be more specialized as an offering and not mm-hmm. like sort of the, the baseline curriculum and bring that more in or something because was math kind of a thing for you? Cause you seem sort of like a math guy. <sighs> So I mean, you're probably good at math, I've known, right? Jeff, I've known you for a good 10 or 15 years now. No more than that. And listen, you just didn't know. I've been playing you, man. I am the worst <laughs> math person. Really? Ever. I, okay, I mean. No, I don't believe that. No, it's, it's, it's extreme. It's extreme. I, I, um, I, so, you know, eight years ago, just for fun, I went back to school uh-huh. to do undergrad things just because of whatever in New York. And you have to take these tests to sort of place into, you know, and so mm-hmm. you haven't even taken a test in 20 years, whatever. Right. Here I'm taking this test. So probably that was part of it. But I took the math placement test and the, where I ended up, where I ended up with that was they were like, uh, you know, language. Great. Like you yeah. can get, here's all your availability for all these courses. Go knock yourself out. Now about the math. And they and they said you might want to sit down, Mr. You're right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, um, and so they proceed to tell me that you don't, your math is not even up to the level of taking the most basic math class that is offered at any college level, uh-huh. nothing that you can actually get credit for. So they said, but we you know, here's the option you can take, uh, a, there's like a remedial math class of some kind that you can take that is like a prep to get to the worst level of math possible nice. and, and we're giving you a ladder to get to the and ladder so I, and when they're telling me about it i'm thinking okay this is going to be a couple of months okay of just you know okay mm-hmm. and that maybe that could make that some sort of a monastic exercise or mm-hmm. something i'm really just doing this to retrain my brain to do different things mm-hmm. I, you know i realized i had a lot of different patterns and thinking and i just wanted to mix it up and so what better way to do that than go to school and get kind of pushed around that way mm-hmm. you know so I went to gym, the gym for my brain and then realized that I got nothing. So, uh, <laughs> so basically I, I, I thought it'd be a couple months and then, and they're like, no, it's a, it's a year. So it'd be two semesters essentially oh, a one year of my life doing nothing but taking this remedial, remedial math, math just to, just to then qualify for ha- being able to attend the worst, lowest least uh challenging math that is offered but, on the college you know, level i i think that sometimes math is is way more than just being about numbers that's you know, that's kind of why I'm, that's why i was sort of bringing that up as far as like bringing something more made of numbers and expression but yeah like yeah right but i mean because you <clears throat> i mean i've known you long enough to know that that you think um sort of in a very non-linear kind of way and uh i know sometimes i, I think about that with with mathematics, because it was never like algebra was never my thing, but I'm really interested in in 
sort of things like string theory and, and quantum physics and, mm-hmm. um, you know, how things relate to one another. Even though I may not understand, you know, all the mathematics of it, I can understand that, yes, this stuff is connected and I can start to think sort of in a in kind of a different way around it. But it, like if you start getting into all the, the sort of hieroglyphics of mathematics, then I'm gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I understand what you, it's like that, that, is, that is a framework of thinking that, feels good and feels right yeah. and and seems to make some kind of sense as a precedent even though you don't understand the absolute minutia of it right because even as a musician as you know we we have to be we have to be able to figure that kind of stuff out mm. subdividing things and understanding those subdivisions but you those, can feel them you can feel them yes but so that's like you're feeling math i mean what a, what an interesting way of approaching mathematics you know and you feel math and and so I don't know. I mean, I guess I've never really thought about it that way, that you're actually feeling math. Yeah. And that's that's kind of interesting. I mean, that'd be a whole different way of teaching it, you know, like teaching mathematics through music. Mm-hmm. That'd be fascinating, man. Yeah. You know, I suppose a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that exists. It's called dance. But, I mean, that's a different... Well, to an extent, yeah. Yeah, but like yeah. in terms of like, that's a more direct physical uh, response to whatever uh, that you're doing. But... I think that even when I started, like, you know, I don't profess to be like the greatest drummer in the world or anything, but I definitely did it for a long time. And I definitely had no problem in the very early stages um, feeling uh, like being able to sort of break up rhythms in ways sure. that were counterintuitive or, you know, whatever, sort of fragmenting and, and subdividing rhythms and accents and that stuff. And it, and I loved it because it, it felt, because you, you could feel it mm. and then and then you get to that point of independence with your limbs to mm. where now you can start to get into that kind of almost a flow state kind of thing right and then it's like you're watching yourself do it and you're not even thinking about the mechanics of what you're yeah. doing and it's like man i'm doing i'm doing math i'm doing a lot of things right now yeah you know yeah. it's uh it's cool but it's almost um, like hitting hitting the fastball they say it's impossible you know but but yet people do it and it's, i think it's the same with math when i hear certain drummers play People like Daphnis Prieto, for example, to to me is like one of the guys that has 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 taken what what uh, Horacio Hernandez did, and he's taken it to the next level. And uh, you know, just such fierce independence, and it's it is mathematical. Mm. You've got to figure out, you know, threes against twos, or five against twos, or uh, five against threes, or or whatever it is. You know, these different yeah. ratios that exist, and uh, so so there has to be an understanding. But but feeling math, I, I like that idea, and. Uh, I was talking with, um, uh, God, who was I talking? Oh, uh, uh, the great trumpet player, Taiga Rokoshi, mm. um, a Japanese trumpet player who teaches at Berkeley. He's been there for, I don't know, 20 some odd years. And, uh, and, and he was saying that one of the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that he really works on his students with uh, is feeling the music, is feeling the accents and, and, and engaging the body. And this is something I do a uh. lot with my students also. And when I have them sing, uh, their parts rather than playing it, mm. you know, because a lot of times we think about, oh, we're using the tips of our fingers or the tips of our tongue or the tips of our lips or mm-hmm. the tips of the reed yeah. or the tips of the mouthpiece or the tips of the drumsticks. Yeah. Um, it's the tip, tip, tip of everything. And yeah. so, so rather than utilizing and engaging the whole body, a lot of times we're just getting a small fragment I see. of, of who we are and of our, our sort of, even of our body mass that's moving just a little bit you know you don't mm-hmm. have to do much to, to to strike a guitar string or to hit yeah. a drum yeah and uh so it's something to make it more visceral fully yeah to, yeah to to really engage the body and and uh 
You know, because I think that we hear with our body also. I mean, I'm sure that we do. And, uh, you know, our ears are, are, are pretty small. And, uh, you know, the skin is the largest organ that we have. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when I, when I do workshops and, and clinics and different things and I ask the students, how many people have ever had goosebumps listening to music? Yeah. Originally, I thought it'd be, you know, between 40 and 60 percent. And uh, which was I was just making that number up. I thought, oh, well, you know, probably half or something, maybe yeah. around half, you know, and every hand went up. Mm. And every time I've asked the question, every hand has gone up. And uh, and, and it's fascinating to me to, to think about that because it's <clears throat> excuse me, it's it's not always the same music. Like if you and I listen to a piece of music, maybe I would get goosebumps or you would. And maybe the other one didn't. Yeah. You know, so it's like we because have, it's counting on a lot of basis. It's, it's it's predicated on nostalgia or relation. There's a lot of other things. Like Sometimes I, I yeah. can hear a really bad Ambrosia song or something, mm-hmm. and, and and be like, "Whoa, yeah, I got goosebumps." No bad Ambrosia song. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's because they only put out all greatest hits albums. <laughs> I swear to God, like all those bands, it's almost like unless you're a real connoisseur, it's like I think that they just their first album was greatest hits, greatest hits, yeah, and then the, it was yeah. like greatest hits volume two, yeah, and they just started off with the, they just cut the. That'd be a great way to do it, man. Just do like like all your records, do like yeah. greatest hits volume one. Just keep doing it. Just go because yeah. I mean, people are. Um, people want to sort of be on a train, you know, a hype train of something that's like the new thing. And it's like, yeah. damn, I totally missed this, uh-huh. but I at least want to be conversant in it at a dinner party. So I should at least go ahead and have this on, on, on. Yeah. You know, who kind of did that. And I, and I don't like his writing. At all, but he, <laughs> <laughs> um, he wrote a book called a staggering work of Har- uh, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, David Eggers. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, wow, man, that's, that's pretty confident. <laughs> and I remember reading the book and I got about, I don't know, I got fairly deeply into it. And I was just like, God, I hate it. Why am I reading this? You know, and, and uh, it was one of those things where, where I just thought, wow, you know, it's such a powerful title. <laughs> it's such a bad book. <laughs> Can't stop. Can't stop. Oh, man. So, like, w- w- curious. Okay, so recently, and I, I, w- I knew that I wanted to ask you about this, but you, you got to play with uh, Stevie Wonder. If, yeah. if if anybody listening hasn't heard of Stevie Wonder, you should t- totally check him out. He's he's pretty good. He's got a he's he's starting to k- get some momentum. Yeah, has his sophomore record come out yet? Yeah, his, he started with greatest hits also, I think. But he might have invented. He kind of did actually, yeah. you know. He kind of did like he like invented his, greatest. Hits. He invented the greatest hits. <laughs> but uh, but so okay, like when you're talking about. Like I, I'm just to kind of I don't want to like guide your conversation too much, but I'm just really consumed with this, the notion of flow state, and I'm always talking about this kind of thing. And mm. and is it possible, like in moments like that, where you're? I mean, that's got to be fully out of body because there's just the company that you keep sometimes can get pretty rich and pretty amazing and mm. and, uh, and pretty uh, humbling or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there's all different flavors of that. I'm sure you play with a lot of very sort of accomplished people that people love and you're like you know it was cool like you know and then other things where it's but stevie wonder is you know sort That's of the top a, of the mountain right there yeah there. so you what know? was that um well you know it was a big concert in charlottesville um uh, some people may know that i play with dave matthews band and uh and, and we were putting on a big concert in charlottesville kind of a unity concert and so uh somebody had gotten in touch with stevie wonder and asked him if he would guest with us and uh, he graciously said yes. And so he came in and 
you know, we we talked about some of the tunes, so we had his stuff ready. And uh, when you say that, what do you mean? Uh, as far as you had, you said you had his stuff ready. Oh yeah, yeah. So so he had uh, he and Dave had talked, and they had talked about three different tunes. Oh okay. Um, um, John Lennon's "Imagine," um, uh, "Loves in Need of Love Today," oh. and uh, "Superstition." Mm. And so so we had worked on the stuff, and uh, so when he came in to rehearse, we were ready for him, and and uh, he was super excited. Um, I guess he was familiar with the band, and uh, you know he was like, "Oh man, you know." We need to do something together, you know, Dave Matthews Band and Stevie Wonder. And we're all like, wow, man, like, you know, because he doesn't have to say that kind of thing either. And yeah. And uh, so he he proceeded to completely blow our minds and sound unbelievable singing the stuff in the same keys that he originally recorded. No. So no modulations to accommodate for age or range or anything. No, no, none whatsoever. And uh, completely killing it, you know, and and. so even on the gig, you know, he, he came out and, and it's it's interesting because he's one of those guys where it's not just come out and do the thing and then you go. It's like a it's like a whole production for him where he comes out and he talks for a while. And uh, um, this was when the whole thing when, you know, people were taking a knee during the anthem and which mm-hmm. is still occurring. And of course, you know, post Charlottesville, which is why you were there. Right. Of course. You yeah. know, so it's it's sort of like. Uh, getting to the essence of of the humanity of of what most of us really believe in, and uh, which is equality and and tolerance and acceptance and the you know the list goes on and on and and so Stevie comes out and and he's he's talking about all this stuff man you know and we're you know we're all choked up about it you know we are all completely in and and uh, um. You know, and, and he was like, I'm taking one knee in solidarity and I'm taking two knees in prayer. Whoa. You know, and and we went with him, man, of course. And, uh, and I would do a headstand. Really, I would do whatever. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was a really beautiful moment, you know, and then he he, he proceeds to just, you know, destroy the place vocally. Mm. And uh, and then we finish up playing Superstition with Stevie Wonder, which which for me as a horn player, for any horn player, really for any musician, yeah. period. Yeah, I didn't really thought about as this a, part. As a yeah. horn player, those wow. lines are, you know, those are lines that we sing in our sleep, basically. And and uh, to me, that's that's really, that's like the top of the mountain, you know. And and uh, um, you know, I mean, there there are peaks, and then there are moments like that. That's Mount Everest to me. And uh, he was very gracious, and then he invited us out to his bus later, and we're all hanging out, like singing this silly song game that he had. And and uh, I got to play him some of this Tuvan throat singing. I had just been in, in Russia, mm. in Tuva, and somebody had said something about Russia, and they said, "Oh, Jeff, you ju- you were just there." And I said, "Well, I says I was mostly in Tuva." With a throat singer's arm, Stevie kind of kind of moves back and forth. And says, "Oh, he says you got to tell me about that, Whoa. you know." And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so I, had, <laughs> I, had, I explained to him, you know, with, with the throat singers, and and uh, he said, "What was that like?" I said, "Well, man, I said I have a, a, a little audio I could play for you." So I played him, you know, about thirty seconds of a couple of different things, and he was laughing, you know. And I can just imagine like what he's experiencing, mm. hearing that probably for the first time. Yeah. And, uh, because anybody I, that hasn't heard, you know, Tuvan throat singing, that's a hard thing to just describe. And then it's like three notes at a time with a, with a single voice Yeah, and, uh, using the overtones and, and, and canceling using the, the positioning of the throat and the tongue to, to cancel out certain overtones to, to bring out other ones. Mm. And, uh, 
uh, you know, it's a tradition that predates their spoken language. And it's, it's been around for a very long time. That's mind blowing. So, okay. Yeah. So Stevie hears this. Yeah. So he's like, kind of like, you know, really digging it and, and, uh, um, and just laughing during the whole thing. And, you know, and it was just this great hang, man. He, he was so generous with his time. And, and, uh, and I think that, that, uh, Dave has, or is doing something with him, uh, coming up here in early December. Cool. So it's like and, a catalyst uh, to sort of. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Some continuum or, you know, like let's do yeah. more things on some level and yeah, keep, because, keep connecting. Because I yeah. think that, that, uh, you know, in particular with, with Dave Matthews, um, you know, the, the kind of the idea of what's being presented by the group and by the people of the group, um, sort of represents a kind of a philosophy, I guess you would say of, um, you know, treating people in a particular way and, um, you know, encouraging not only creativity, but, but thinking outside the box and this idea of family, there are people that are still in the organization that have been there for 27 years. Mm-hmm. You know, they were there from day one. Yeah. And I don't mean just the guys in the band either. I'm talking about crew guys, merch people or merch they, people. Yeah. yeah. Management, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so it's an anomaly. It's, do you it's think that's a like, family oriented. Do you thing. think that that is? I mean, because obviously that was born of the idiom. At least was set up in terms of the Grateful Dead and mm-hmm. a lot of other sure. operators and that sort of. You know, it's hard for people to remember or understand that even in the era of '80s hair bands, or even when the most whatever things were number one and these giant concerts and Bon Jovi's playing or whatever, and you th- that's all you hear on the radio mm-hmm. during the, that time. Grateful Dead was still the number one grossing touring act and just, you know, uh, you know, by far ahead of the commerce game of everybody Mm. else that's going on and had that sort of family and touring sort of uh, modality. So I I guess a lot of it's sort of a continuation or an evolution of that. Yeah, I think so. Like in a weird way, it's like a a strange kind of um, blueprint for a particular type of tribe modality to combine music and mission in some way mm-hmm. uh, and then and then pervade it in this way, you know, but it's almost like a, in a weird way, it's like a like a hyper exaggerated sort of traveling minstrel approach or something uh, with just a lot more scale uh, and better sound. But uh, well, yeah, yeah, certainly, you know, and I, I think <clears throat> I think one of the things is, is that. You know, like I think back to my my grandmother and and uh, on my mom's side, full Sicilian, and uh, seven kids, and that was always the meeting place. You know, and everybody was welcome, and and that's what it feels like with Matthews also, even mm-hmm. with the Flectones when I played with them. Mm-hmm. Everybody's welcome, um, as long as you're not basically an asshole. Yeah, you know, it's like there's good in everybody. In some right, way. I mean, yeah. it's up to you to screw it up. And I think there was only one time ever in my life that that. I think somebody wasn't welcome at my grandmother's house. Mm. Only once, and and but you but you straightened it out. Yeah, I got back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was hungry. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> sure, smells good in there, Grandma. <laughs> so you know, I, I and, and and I think that that's that's one of the beautiful things about the arts is that it's everybody is welcome. Mm. You know, and and you know, we're all. I mean, look, we all have issues and we're all screwed up and uh you know we all have stuff that we're dealing with and, and the arts is one of those places that it's like bring that here mm-hmm. you know we accept you and 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 we will encourage you 
and we will be inspired by you and we will try to inspire you. And uh, and so these communities that exist and, and these relationships that exist continue on and on and on. And, uh, um, you know, sometimes people get sort of estranged or sort of like, you know, just like any family or any group of dynamic of any kind. Yeah. People, weird, people go through weird evolutions and weird things happen, you know, yeah. or like, I mean, I think about, well, you know, whatever this, whatever, some girl I dated when I was 16 and, and yeah. it's like, whoa, like she goes to one of those crazy, uh, like massive stadium churches and mm. I don't know, people that are just very different and right. maybe thinking, hey, everybody's welcome. I'm glad you're doing whatever you're into. Mm-hmm. It does seem weird to me that. Like it, when 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 laser lights uh, and uh, pyrotechnics are a part of like a church scenario, it gets a little mm-hmm. weird to me. But that's just my opinion. Um, maybe well, I'm, maybe well, I'm just jealous that like the the sort of painful kind of Catholic church upbringing <laughs> I had, I was so <laughs> fucking bored that I would just wished I would have loved lasers and pyrotechnics right. and giant jumbotrons and you know like loud loud bands. WWJP, what would Jesus play? Yeah. You know, what would his Spotify I remember I got a Spotify say, playlist be? <laughs> I bet they have good food at those mega churches too, you know, because I think about like my mom would just leave me at the church, you know. I don't know, we would just get left there. It was like a yeah. like, in the seventies people just left their kids places. It didn't yeah, like okay. whatever. You know? Church is like better than the parking lot or right. you know, the shopping center or right. you know, whatever. But uh but I just remember being really hungry and, and nobody was around. And going through a bunch Did of you cabinets. Eat the I ate the wafers. <laughs> <laughs> and I got in huge trouble. I got in huge trouble. And that's actually when I started to fundamentally have problems with the Catholic Church. Because I was like, okay, what is going on here? You're talking Jesus about. Jesus provided these crackers for me. Yeah. Come on. You know? Well, here's the thing. I didn't understand that it was ritualized cannibalism at the time. This is the body of Christ. I didn't realize what I was being enculturated into. And the, they were trying to make me sort of a symbolic cannibal. Right. Blood of Christ. Right. Like, there's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And uh, and I just hadn't, you know, I, I don't mean to disrespect but anybody. But wasn't this a whole ask in, in ye shall receive? Isn't that the whole thing? You know, I, mean, I just didn't just, ask. I just took. Well, yeah, well. <laughs> I think I just stole. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember thinking, like, what an, uh, what an irony. And then, like, the water, don't, you can't drink it. And you can't, I don't know. You're really just playing with some basic elements there and confusing children. And making the stand up sit down. It's a lot of things. I yeah. don't know. It's like a jazzercise uh, situation. Well, you know, I mean, I think there's rules in, in, in everything that you do, you know, and, and I everybody think that, has rituals. Yeah. yeah, there's rituals and rules. And, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I, I personally think there's too many. Yeah. And uh, well, you know, my stepdad used to be a priest, right? He left the priesthood mm. to marry my mom mm. and he's my stepdad. So uh, and I'm named after him and he baptized me as an infant. Wow. It's a crazy story. But uh-huh. anyway, but. I was just talking to him over Thanksgiving. You know, he's what 80 now. And I was just talking to him and, and I was like, uh, Hey, I was like, his name is Ron. I was like, Ron recently, uh, I just went to this wedding in New York, you know, it was uh, Episcopal, which is sort of Catholic light or, you know, whatever. Uh-huh. But it reminded me of like, it was a lot of the same kind of ceremony and ritual. And I haven't been in that environment in so long. It was kind of like a, a trip back, but I was looking at it obviously through different, more adult eyes and and my the key observation that I came back with and I had to ask Ron about was I was like, seems like the priest does just a lot of housekeeping. Like it take like how why does it take so long to clean that one cup? Like it, you're doing this for like ten minutes. Like are you just waiting for the song to finish or is it really that dirty or what is happening with this cup? Uh-huh. Where you're doing all these things. 
Uh, but anyway, well, I think that's the, I think that's part of the meditation. Like I think that people exactly. who are like yeah. who are really into that, mm. you know, like my wife teaches meditation, and she's she's a, a, a yoga practitioner and teacher, and does holistic therapy, and and like she's deep into that meditation practice though also, and 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 like the idea of a walking meditation, the idea that when we play music, it's a meditation, so on and so forth, and so I I, I think that that people who are in tune with those kinds of things can 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 make those moments engineer the, sort of uh yeah like yeah can make those moments the meditation like woodworkers yeah. that's their meditation i mean i, I get that mm-hmm. and uh but but it's not everybody that feels that same meditation for doing that thing yeah you know and uh, like some people say oh well you know when you're doing dishes at home make it a meditation like like be yeah. in so in that moment and so maybe it takes a little longer i remember one time i was i was at uh Jeff Sipes' place, um, incredible drummer, um, who I just saw with John McLaughlin a couple weeks ago. You were there. I was there, too. I was, I was and, in the, the back seats where you're looking at the stage from behind. So, oh, yeah. So I could sit there right by Jeff. And just Nice. It was cool. But I remember one time I was at his, at his house. Um, I think we were doing some duet gigs together. And, and, uh, and I remember that I had read um, something about cooking eggs and that if you cook them really slowly, that they, they retain the moisture. And it's mm-hmm. like... Wow, you know, it may take 20 minutes to cook some scrambled eggs, but it'll be worth it. And so, so I remember that and one morning I woke up and I was I was cooking breakfast. I said, man, I'm going to try this. The 20 minute egg. It took like 20 minutes to cook these <laughs> eggs, like yeah. on the lowest heat. Yeah, yeah. That's the way to do it, though. But man, they were fantastic. That's that's what that, I did. So learn I kind of cook omelets the right way. Yeah, and it is like, you know, slow is fast. That's uh-huh. another thing I learned, like, uh, you know, and slow is actually fast. You have to sort of change how you perceive the sort of urgency or suppress your will or what, mm-hmm. you know, mindfulness, whatever you want to call yeah. it, uh, just to kind of reach that plateau. That's what's interesting too, is that I grew up around all the Catholicism that I joke about a lot. And then, um, but then my, my folks got into a lot of Native American spirituality and, um, my mom actually got taught by Lakota Sioux elders to support, to pour sweat lodges. We would, you know, mm. my mom did, uh, Amblecha, like vision quests, you know, fasting and then going down the hill, um, you know, South Dakota. Mm. Wow. That real, must have been real, fascinating. Did you ever do any of that? Um, I, uh, I did not do a vision quest, um, but I would go out there and camp, you know, for a long time yeah. and just be um, out there, yeah. you know? And so you would do things like chop wood all day or, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, you were just out there and you, you know, so look, for instance, when somebody's on the hill, you know, you, you tend the fire or mm-hmm. there's just, it's it's definitely like in that world, there's a whole different kind of natural governance to the collective happening of everything. And it's really interesting because sweat lodges are the same way where it's like, if you're not in the, like sort of in that zone that you're kind of talking about where it's like, like in the meditation, mm-hmm. if you're not fully in that, and especially in a sweat lodge situation, then it would, they, they, the words they use, they would say like the lodge will spit you out. Mm. You know, and it's crazy how you'll see that happen, like where people just aren't in the right mind frame or something. Nothing has to be done to to clear that up, like the the sheer duress of the situation or whatever yeah. the intensity of it. I suppose yeah. it it just it weeds that out right yeah. away. Uh, but anyway, so that's a very interesting sort of uh, detour in my my development in terms of understanding. You know, because I was deep in pursuit of all manner of music and all these things. And then all of a sudden, you know, being introduced to that and sort of trying to marry up a lot of these these ideas, I think was pretty formative. 
because I think I'm otherwise a person that like pretty sort of Anglo, overly complicated, cerebral uh-huh. thinks too much, you know. So a lot of that stuff works for me in a way that's like it's strange that like I'll, most of the music I listen to, if I'm just listening to music generally, is like really zoned out mm. stuff, like not busy, not highly notational right. or anything like that anymore. It's like I just want to listen to Alice Coltrane records or you know, um, Wolfgang Voigt sort of gas German ambient records or, you know, things like that. And that makes me feel like all the chatter is calm and puts me in that kind of place. Yeah. And I think that there's some correlation. Yeah. Yeah. I think there probably is. You know, it's interesting how, um, for, for me, my taste in music and my, excuse me, the, the things that I desire to listen to has really changed over the years. Mm. And, so uh, you're into just full-time Bob Seger now is what you're full-time saying. Full-time Bob Seger. It's like the greatest hits record. Yeah, One and right. two. <laughs> Second when he covers all Stevie Wonder tunes. <laughs> it's really great. It's getting, it's getting weird out there with the greatest hits record. Why is Journey playing Foreigner's greatest hits? <laughs> and you know those, those shreds that, that are oh, online? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I always thought that it would be really great if a band did their own shreds. Uh, yeah. That's, right? That'd yeah. be hilarious, man. I, you so know. take that to the to the to the Dave. I know we should do it. So next time we're in the studio, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it. Yeah, that'd be really funny, man. You'd be like, you'd be like, hey, I want Brian. I want to tell you about my last day with Dave Matthews. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were in this amazing. The studio is like really expensive, the best studio, and I just wouldn't let this idea go. I was gonna, <laughs> we were gonna do shreds. So I just turned it all into shreds. But yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I I think there's, there's, um, like, so let me ask you this, like when, by the way, I, I think it's amazing that you are a person that has such expertise in sort of really defined areas. It doesn't mean that, I mean, in terms of like playing saxophone and photography, I would Mm -hmm. say the two things that I know of that you're, you're best at, Mm -hmm. uh, obviously your eggs are really amazing yeah um and then obviously like i don't mean to undermine or anything the ability the ability to teach Mm. that is using all of your consciousness as an instrument essentially to accomplish something you know um uh so there's all that but uh you know i think it's interesting uh because like for for me i'm i'm so interdisciplinary which is really just a nice way of saying confused all the time um (laughs) i do so many different things but i will say that as i'm getting older now i'm starting to see threads of continuity that run through those things so and it's really that's like it's almost like uh you know like uh numbers will create sort of the mandelbrot set you Mm -hmm. know and all of a sudden it's a replicant image that you can kind of see and and it's uh infinite I feel like that if you just run enough iterations of things, then you mm-hmm. start to find patterns and threads. So I guess I was just curious, since you're a person that is um, more functionally interdisciplinary, mm-hmm. um, you know, but you really are doing a lot of different things. Um, uh, how, like what, what do you see like sort of threads of continuity that run through those things that are starting to avail to you or that you're in the middle of trying to understand yeah. or anything like that? Yeah. Um, I, this also makes me think about this is something I've thought about for for a long time now, is that sort of everything that we do, I think we tend to do it to the same level, you know, like like where the bar exists, that imaginary bar, where that imaginary bar actually exists. Mm. Um, I think that we sort of do everything that we do up to that level. Like, for example, like, like, 
I don't think of myself as an organized person, like in the same way as, you know, like someone that's helping other people be organized. I'm, you know, so my stuff is a little loose and, and my music is like that also. And it, it, it's, it doesn't have to do with like, I don't care as much or, or any of this, but my level of being able to let it go is a little different than other people's, mm. you know? And, and, and I think that, that, I think that it was Zappa one time that said, look, you know, basically to paraphrase, basically you have to be able to make a decision. He says, I make decisions quickly. You know, he says, that's just who I am. I make a decision and I go with it. Now, there are other people that get caught in the quagmire of the decision making. And, uh, and, and you can. A lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Do, yeah. And, and you can paralyze yourself by doing that. And, and so, so for me, there's a little bit of both. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I have like the greatest self-confidence in the world, but, but I'm, I'm getting better. You know, I still feel like I'm going to be found out one day that I don't know anything about what I'm doing and, uh, which, you know, who knows where all that stuff comes from, but a lot of people have that kind of thing. And, and, uh, and I don't really believe that, but I kind of do, but you know, you, but you have to understand that's like kind of absurdly humble in some weird way. Well, Here's the thing, but I, I, but I understand that it's something where you're like, I'm not in your head. Right. Right. So I, right. I mean, I get that, but I mean, certainly if you were sort of uh, in some area of lack of competence or that you, you're not going to find out that you're no good. You might find out that you had a lot more to say. You might find out mm. some new language or you might mm. find out some new modality of expression that you just wish that you had more time because yeah. you do see that things as sort of equal on this, this sort of uh, right. the bar. But anyway, but I guess I'm just well, saying, I, I understand that it's unfounded, you yeah. know, but there's still, there's still parts of me as an artist mm. That and, and I guess found out in the sense of like, you know, irrelevant or, you know, it's not good enough or this, that or the other thing. There's always these little kind of nagging things, which but that's externally focused stuff, right? That's more about validation or that's more about um, or is I, it or you feel like I'm OK in here, but out. But I wonder if that's translating out there. I do wonder that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I feel like I reach a lot of people. Yeah. I, you know, I, those those things, they still every now and then they'll drift in. You know, and then you ha- kind of have to push them away and go, you know what? You- you're not welcome here. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I deal with this with my students also. And one of the things that, that we talk about, um, well, there's a student, for example, who's a senior this year at Vanderbilt. And uh, she's been studying classical saxophone this whole time. So before she graduated, she's like, look, I want to get lessons with you my senior year. You know, is that OK? And I was like, yeah, of course. And, and uh, she says, I want to learn how to improvise a little bit because she's going to be an educator. And uh, she's a good player. And uh, and so one of the things that that we we talk about, especially with not only just with young players, but but in particular with young players, people are just kind of getting into uh, taking this leap of improvisation. And I said, you know, one of the things that I recommend you bring to to the stage with you um, is a bucket. It's an imaginary bucket and it's a bucket of fuck it. <laughs> and so, so if you make a mistake, you just kind of reach in and you go half ah, and you just let it go, yeah. you know? And, and so a couple of concerts ago, um, the big band was rehearsing and I said, you know, I said, she should take a solo. And, and I remember she looked at me with, with her eyes completely wide open and her mouth dropped, you know, on one hand, like, um, um, com- completely freaked out that there was a possibility she was going to have to take a solo in public. And, and on the other hand, like complete excitement, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah. Roller you know? coaster kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Really interesting. And, and uh, um, so I remember before the concert, 
you know, I could tell she was, you know, her, her parents were there and the whole deal, you know, no pressure, <laughs> right. No pressure. <laughs> and, uh, she had never, you know, she had never taken a solo in public. And, and, and I remember I leaned over to her and said, don't forget your bucket. Mm. You know, she says, Oh, I got it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and she did great, you know, and then she took another solo a couple of nights ago at the Christmas concert and it just really sounded beautiful, man. So, the, you know, I love those moments. It is sort of like, uh, like coaxing, uh, when you're young and you're, you're uh, learning how to swim and you're on the high dive, that first jump mm. off the high dive or, you know, that sort of unknown. Yeah. But that, but that's a, that's a testament to just having really good mentorship and teaching and, people instill that kind of confidence for people to do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, especially if it's somebody that's just where that's not a native instinct or they've been on the sort of more curriculum based, like I feel confident with known good established steps. Right. And then that to make that transfer in the mind to improvisation, it also really, what it really boils down to is like, now I need, now it's time for me to actually express what I have to say right. on some level or I'm expressing myself. And so that's an unveiling of a whole other thing i would imagine that improvising would not be technically difficult for anyone generally speaking that has already already has like a foundation in the instrument but it's probably a lot more psychological i'm just guessing here mm. it seems like it would be a lot more psychological and just sort of a um um a conscious i think that for you know you hear all these sort of isms about greatness or all these things you know but it's like you know getting through the other side of fear, you know, and, yeah. and what's there, like, you need to just remember that you, every time you're fearful, that there's something through the other side of that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you can, when, once you pierce that enough times, you start to fully understand that that's a, sort of a universal truth. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like, uh, it applies maybe to everything, but most things like you can't just I eat like 20 moon pies and be like, I was afraid to eat 20 moon pies, but you right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but the things that, yeah. that, that, you know, it's like you know Joseph Campbell talking about the hero's journey, mm. and uh, and having to to go through those things and to that they, they, they are ritualized, you know. And uh, my wife was asking me the other day. Um, she said, "Do you celebrate?" You know, and I thought about it, and I used to anything. No, well, it's it's sort of like like uh, wins or like accomplishments. You mean more of like accomplishments? Yeah, mm -hmm. like when when a new CD comes out or or. When there is a particular, um, you know, sort of high point career wise, mm -hmm. um, gig wise, or getting asked to do this or being on the cover of this or, or, or playing whatever. some particular venue or was right, any right. number of things. Yeah. Right. And, I'm, and, and, and I thought about it and I thought about it a lot recently and, and you know, and, and I don't so much anymore. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and to me, it's important to get back to that, mm. you know, and to to recognize the importance of that and and the ritual and um, the sort of rite of passage, uh, the accomplishment of something, um, and and I think that those things exist around us. And for me, they become a little less important as I get older, mm. but they become more important for me to, to um, recognize and instill in my students. Which is very interesting, you know, and, and to, you got you to drink your own Kool-Aid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and to give them. Don't give them any Kool-Aid. I'm just going to keep it all for myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a big jug of it right here. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, so providing those opportunities, it's in the idea that, that we don't ever do it alone, I think is really important also. So those communities that exist, like finding your tribe, mm. um, I think it's really important and, and. You know, so so there's a great old saying, "Leap in the net will appear." So yeah. So I tell my students, we're going to leap together. 
Mm. You know, I may not be physically next to you, but I'm there with you a hundred percent. And, uh, and, and I feel like in artistic communities, even, even people who are painting or sculpting or dancing alone, there's still a connectivity that's there. And Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that I personally think anyway, that draws us into the arts is that we feel like there's a family there mm-hmm. and getting back to this whole thing about Matthews and the Grateful Dead and, mm-hmm. and how these families existed. People would come to these shows um, from, from completely different backgrounds mm-hmm. and, and philosophies and religions and, and, uh, and politics and all. But the thing that brought them together was this music. That's what made them the family. Yeah. You know? What's weird for me is that I have so much appreciation for that and and totally understand that sort of sentiment and that idea but i i'm almost uh like averse to it in this mm. weird way for myself like i'm a weird person in this a, way averse, where, to, averse to what like just i've always just said like if if i see a group of nothing to, i've always said that nothing is more frightening to me than a group of people all agreeing on something it's kind of oh, like sure, this, sure. Yeah, and obviously that's kind of a ridiculous statement but the point is just that i i'd rather be either the observer um or or the driver um, but I don't want to be um, a follower. Yeah, if that makes any sense. So and, I'm, I'm and just I'm curious. Like, what what is it about that that's hard for you? Like, do you do you feel like you would lose sort of your own perspective or, or your own yeah, ideal or, or something like that? Probably that's probably your identification, your your identity. That's pro- that, yes, I would say that's probably it. Also, just I just feel like. I observe often people compromising their ideas for the sake of uh, the compromising their ideas or their potential or any number of things or just falling into these um, uh, whatever group think type of things. Or tri- yeah. I think there's a real danger to tribalism as much as there is sort of a need for it. Mm-hmm. And there's, it's a very complicated, I mean, that's to me, that's the, what's fundamentally driving a lot of the sort of challenges that we're seeing right now in the world and mm-hmm. why everything's kind of upside down mm-hmm. because we have all this uh, media driving these polemics and hardening all of these tribal groups mm-hmm. to the point where they're just talking about, uh, you know, sort of uh, their team colors, you know, kind of yeah. a, approach as opposed to um, having meaningful conversations that are actually fundamentally motivated to do something more. Um, um, in cooperation. So again, it's like there's a diff- there's there's different flavors of compromise. There's different flavors of uh, tribe. There's different flavors of these things. So sure. it's, it's probably a lot to sort of unpack, I suppose. But but basically, for me, I don't know. I just feel weird. <laughs> like when, What's your name? You're yeah. kind of an enigma in a lot of ways. And, and and I've, I mean, I've always thought that about you. But but we've always been very close friends ever since we first met. Mm. But it's it's like you on one hand have a desire to belong, yeah. But then you're sort of like, but I really don't, yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, and and, and it's it's always been inspiring to um, to sort of witness your process also because uh, you know you sort of are doing the things that a lot of people who I know want to do, but yet you're not a full time musician doing it. So you'll put out records or produce things or, or, or work on this really interesting artistic music and, uh, and you'll get it out there to people. And it's sort of like, 
okay, I'm not looking for any kind of fame. Yeah. I'm not looking to to become rich off of this. I'm looking to sort of put this into the world as something that is almost like your gift to the world. Mm. And uh, and so it's really interesting because I always find that even if it's been a period of time between when we've seen each other, mm. then I'm like, I know that he's been up to something <laughs> really interesting, you know, uh, even with the whole drones thing. And, yeah. and now you're like winning awards at film festivals. And I'm like, wow, man, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I think that I think it's a really good lesson for people and a really good example for people and a really good inspiration for people to to sort of go, well, you know, follow the things that you're passionate about. You know, do the things that move you and 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 allow yourself to be creative and to to try things and 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 um, you know to be able to kind of push up against that membrane of fear and break through it mm. and uh, and and see what's on the other side there and um, I, I don't know it's it's great I I think it's really it's inspiring to me yeah come on and, and, no no I'm serious no man. I'm just saying it's like and, that's uh, heavy yeah um, and and I just I think it's beautiful and I think that that. Uh, um, if more people did that, I think that there'd be a lot more people who are a lot happier in the world. And, and uh, you know, we put so much effort into things like social media, which is it's a dead end, man. You know, it's, it's an apparition. A, yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, I mean, people that are putting like two or three. I think, you know, people that are putting two or three hours on that a day. I'm just like, man, what if you put that towards something actually creative that didn't sort of like. Mm. It was just like it's irrelevant the moment you do it. Mm. It just doesn't matter, mm -hmm. you know. And so my time on social media is super limited, mm. and uh, I'm just not very interested. So I find that I put my creativity into other projects, and uh, I've got a studio above my garage that I do a lot of stuff in, and actually just flipped the whole studio last night. Like like some of it stayed the same, but I flipped a bunch of other stuff. And the controls on the other side. Yeah. Okay. And. uh and so, like, walking into the room today after all that was done, um, suddenly, it, like, it makes sense. Like, it's like, this is how the room is supposed to be. Oh. You know? And for, like, You've four years. You've always had it the other way. I've always had it the other way. And for, like, four years, almost five, almost five years now, um, it's, it's been very creative. It's been great. But now it's like, oh. Like, you go in there and you sort of, you sort of exhale and you go, this is right. Yeah. And, uh. It's such a weird thing how we relate to architecture and space and yeah. directionality and how functionality applies to the f sort of furniture and just all the things. Well, I think we have that in music, too. I think we have that in yeah. art, in the different things that, that we're attracted to. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Have you been to uh, the first to see the Nick Cave exhibit? No, I haven't. It's really great. I mean, man. I've seen his stuff before, but yeah. I haven't seen this particular exhibit. It's and really I, brilliant. My, our, uh, my normal uh, show cohort here um podcast cohort uh joe nolan uh, got to he's been very quiet tonight yeah, yeah he's very quiet joe yeah. speak up uh you, joe's the did the <laughs> <laughs> joe's okay, in the joe corner right now um no but he 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 i guess did a write-up for he's an art critic and he does a lot uh -huh. of you know he's an artist and an art critic so he, he he's like the uh yeah. Anyway, I had to. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, so he uh, was telling me all about it, and it seems unbelievable because of the, especially that other the feature piece. That's, yeah. Yeah. Well, even even all the 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 costumes, the masking. Yeah. And all this, it's 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 really fascinating, and and it's such a different kind of vision. And then there's a, a there's a, a a video. I can't even begin to describe it, but you'll you'll see you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. And uh, but it's really brilliant, and and uh, 
you know, he's just he's just kind of doing a thing. And, you know, I think of someone like Michael Weintraub, who's doing uh, Instrument Head, you know, and sort of like going deep down the rabbit hole into these these particular areas. And, uh, you know, at a certain point, then you have to ask yourself, OK, well, what's next? Yeah. You know, I mean, seriously, and, people you're talking about two, two people that do very uh, stylized, mm-hmm. very like. And so it's on one hand, incredible that any artist can create something where you look at it and go, that's a that is a wine trap right. or that is a Nick Cave piece or mm-hmm. whatever. Like that is amazing that people can, can do that. But then it's also like, and then, you know, and then what, and you, you see a lot of historic uh, history uh, where people just, uh, essentially keep deconstructing. Yeah. Like Rothko, a great example, just right. deconstructing the point of like, he was doing detailed surrealist work and then yeah. became sort of uh, these, these color fields and voids. Mm-hmm. Uh, like what, you know, yeah, it's really interesting because all that stuff ties into everything else that you end up doing also. Mm. And, uh, you know, how to explore those things in a way that um, that's really interesting to you. You know, like I'm in the middle of a project right now with some Indian musicians. That's one project. And I've got another project that I, it was duets with this Japanese drummer, Tatsuya Nakatani. And I've got this project with Dave Liebman that we recorded here a couple of years ago. It's got to get out. And I've got uh, um, like a deconstructing standards kind of thing that I did at the jazz workshop here in town. So I have these four very different projects that are ready, basically ready to go. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more work to do on a couple of them. But, you know, so so my thing isn't just, oh, I'm just going to do this. It's it's I think that's why, you know, we're in concert so many yeah, times is that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that like I feel a kindred spirit in you that's yeah. interested in a lot of these different things. And then, you know, of course, there's the, the photography stuff and then there's the educational work and then it's like my play along and my books and, and all this other stuff that that is peripherally um, uh, linked into to my love of playing music. Mm. And uh, well, that's almost like you're, that's all the work that you do to build the universe that you just want to be able to operate in. You know, like you're mm-hmm. you've you've set up all the the sort of conduits of, OK, yeah. I have a part of me that wants to be able to sort of reflect energy out in this way. This is teaching. This right. is my vibe for this. And this is what I'm going to do. And you have to work hard on those things in very concrete ways. And then you've got, you know, um, you know, you do so many different things with different cultures, different. I mean, you're you're mm-hmm. you're truly uh, you're sort of a. If somebody should have strapped a GoPro to your head like <laughs> fifteen years ago, there's plenty of room. And just for let it. it run, yeah, just let it run. Because you like just the the things that you've seen and experienced, and then translated to your own sort of voice and what you want to say, and then getting that out and doing that across so many different kind of channels. It's it could be you know almost schizophrenic or something if not done very well. And I think mm. that that's what's cool about what you're doing is you do it you do it very well. You're, you're walking among all these different mm-hmm. things without yes. it being like a, a disruption, you know? Well, you know, I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, if I shouldn't go deeper on certain things, mm. like I, I, I've always told people that if, if I ever went back to school or if, if, uh, or if I had gone back to school, I probably would have gone in as an ethnomusicologist. Mm. And, uh, because, I can see that. because to me, like the, the, the areas that my interests lie in have to do with cultures of music. And, uh, um, you know, and, and it's funny because I've never, I've never really felt like an insider to any of them. Mm. Like, I mean, not even relative to sort of the, the, the academia, you mean? Well, relative to the academia, but also into the experience of how did that music, 
come about. Like my friend Carlos Malta, who lives in, in Brazil, played with Hermeto for, I don't know, 12 or 14 years. He's this brilliant woodwinds player and uh, revered by all these musicians, incredible improviser. Um, Truly. Just un- unbelievable music. But, but, and then he'll go in, in to, like, to the northeast of Brazil and hang out with like the native Indians of Brazil mm. playing fife and drum music and, you know, He's a spirit. I mean, that's the only way to really describe him. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like someone like that who is, who has wrapped the culture so deeply around them. I seriously. And can yeah. kind of bring it yeah. out. Like, like I sort of wonder, well, which coat am I going to wear? Your immersion skills. You know? It's kind of like about, it's about the immersion and the immersion. I think so, uh, yeah. And how you're. So you're saying that like for you, all these sort of uh, experiments and reflections and happenings and things that you've taken part in and all these different sort of musical realms and cultures, you're saying that you haven't really like, are you saying that you feel like you haven't really uh, done that in the way that feels totally comfortable or deep enough or you haven't I wonder sometimes, that more? I mean, I, I wonder sometimes saying, if, if, uh, well, like when I, when I first went to New Orleans um, and spent time there in 2009, when we recorded down there with Matthews. I felt like like that was the place that I've I've I felt the most accepted in my life. Ah, uh, yeah. That I felt like, oh, okay, well, this is this is sort of home, but I don't live here, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, like I'm looking at your poster of Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan, mm-hmm. and I think, okay, you know, with with Kowali music and, and what he surrounded himself with, like that was his path. Like there was like just a, a big path that was 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 made through his music, you mm-hmm. know, and. Uh, Remember years ago, Baylor talking about the influence of, of other cultures in his music also. And he said, look, he says, I'll never be an Indian musician or an African musician or even an Irish musician, but I'll have all these different influences and I can take those pieces and kind of put them together into something else. Mm. And uh, so I think that, that that resonated with me in a lot of different ways. And uh, so the stuff that I write, the stuff that I play, um, the stuff that I'm interested in, has all these different pieces to it also. And, uh, and, and, and I think it's, it's formed, uh, I guess, sort of how I see the world and, and certainly how I hear music and, and the pieces that are, are really interesting to me. And, and I think that's why I have a, a fairly deep intolerance for what I consider to be lousy music. You know, or like, just by lousy, probably you just mean more than anything, sort of just not properly thoughtful. Right. Because I mean, yeah, it's not like about kind of, acumen. It's not about facility or I can do all these, you know, I, you know, I might not be made of all these chops, mm-hmm. but within my framework, I'm doing very deliberate yeah. things. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah like, like I, I sort of have an aversion to a lot of pop music. Yeah. Cause it, it just kind of seems bubblegum to me and, and mm-hmm. it's, and it's not meant to last the test of time. It's meant to sort of fill up sonic space. Yeah. And and to me, music, um, it means more to that, more to me than that. Yeah. You know, rather than, than just finding something to fill up sonic space, like, mm. let's make art, you know? Mm. And let's let's do something that can try to have the long tail. And, and uh, so I, I think that, that, you know, commerce and art rarely meet and rarely agree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, do you feel like it slows you down because you said you got you know what five six projects right now and they're all essentially ready? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what's what's the holdup, right? Like, I mean, well, the holdup is that I'm 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 too busy with these other things that I'm doing mm-hmm. to to sort of 
have the time to put those out because here's the, like, For the proper marketing you mean, right, and all I just don't things, want right? to saturate. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't want to be like Whitney and put out 10 records in a year, uh, <laughs> you know, or yeah. however many it was, it was a lot, you know, yeah. and, uh, a lot uh, of greatest hits, but I started my own record label yeah. uh, called ear up records. Up. And, uh, um, and I've got other people's records that come out on that also. And I want to give it, you know, I want to give it space. I want it like, like music. It needs space you're, to you're exist. Programming, you know, you're, you're, you're running a program in a way. Like, Basically, it's, like yeah. a, it's a curated sort of program yeah. that if people are tuned into ear up and what's going on, then it's, and I appreciate that. I mean, like I think about the eras that, you know, of really well done label releasing, mm-hmm. uh, or however you want to call it, but like, uh, I really loved what Laswell did in the early nineties, that period, um, Axiom records that, mm-hmm. that period. Cause it really was like, to me, that's the magic when I, when a, when a label can get to the point where that's actually the, the channel and the voice. Mm-hmm. And you know that a million things can happen inside that, but there's some commonality of mentality or underlying mm-hmm. kind of set of principles or whatever it is, even if right. it's that, that we have no principles, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so it's cool that you're, you're thinking about it that way at the same time. I just wonder if it's, if it's, uh, you know, there's a fine line between sort of like kind of keeping yourself full and needing to get that stuff out to create mm-hmm. more, just sort of flow. I, I've found at least for mm-hmm. me, like I'm I, the older I get, I just want stuff out and I don't have obviously the, the weighty sort of demands of actual commerce <laughs> in terms right. of selling records. Uh, I, I'm not burdened with that man. So, uh, <laughs> you should come to my side. It's, it's so, <laughs> it's so, like, like, like a 14 year old girl could make a video on how to clean hair out of a hairbrush. And it will get more views on YouTube than the entirety of my, the body of my life's work, like everything combined aggregate. Right. It's like, that's the world that we live in now. Yeah. And you, so you almost, you just can't pay attention to that kind of thing because everything is, that's actually getting back to sort of that thing you were talking about where it's sort of like, is it about the validation or is it like, I feel like I'm cool, but I'm wondering how these things, but yeah, anyway. Well, I think sometimes too, it's, it's being able to uh, put the attention to something you know, and because there's other things I have to deal with, like with this Dave Liebman record, we have to get the streaming rights for these Miles Davis tunes, which are not through this particular organization, Harry Fox. You have to go elsewhere for those. And so like trying to connect the dots on some of this stuff is it's kind of an impediment. Yeah. And uh, um, well, that's sort of licensing and rights and that kind of stuff. Is what right. Right. Because yeah. you're recording other people's music. So yeah. when I record my own music, it's not an issue. And uh, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> nobody comes banging down the door. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. And uh, so, you know, I think part of it is is just finding the finding the time to um, give it what it deserves. By the way, holy shit, you made a record with Dave Liebman. That's really cool. It was pretty great. Yeah, it was Dave Liebman, Victor Wooten, Chester Thompson, Chris Ugh. Walters, and James De Silva doing oh, wow. the music of Miles Davis, like the early '70s on the corner music. And man, this okay, so is I'm, off the hook. Where's my sneak preview? Uh, well, I could I could get you a sneak preview. You know, it's yeah. it's mixed. It's done, man. Man, it's done, and it sounds unbelievable. It was live recording at Third and Lindsley. Is it, oh and, wow, uh, yeah, it was off the hook. God, that's yeah. you know that's actually funny. That I'm glad you you brought that up because for me the the eras of jazz to me that are still the most um, compelling and the things that really lasted for me at least in my listenership and uh, all the things jazz related. Um, certainly electric miles. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff, I will say, like, I haven't been able to, like, I would like Pangea, a guard, like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. really was, I think pinnacle for me. That was like a, a little bit past the stage that you're talking about. Right. 
um, really when the, I guess a lot of the heroin had kind of creeped in and things uh-huh. were about to sort of go off into yeah. nothing for a while mm-hmm. with Miles. Um, but I feel like that there's some, I don't know, actually I kind of just really enjoy a lot of the darkness of it, mm-hmm. um, but maybe I just can't live there as much now. But this is something that super impressed me. But otherwise, um, that and then sort of the spiritual jazz movement, mm-hmm. you know, and those things. But, um, but okay, so in terms of electric miles that you guys were, were hitting on, uh, which was that's an insane lineup. That that was that's that's legit. Like that's you're you're like this is not a a facsimile. This is direct t- right. tutelage. Uh, this is this is like the direct uh, continuation mm-hmm. of what the, those impulses even Absolutely. were. So you were yeah. you're a part of that now. Mm. So like what did tell me all the songs you played in, in uh, what happened. <laughs> I can't remember all, but you know, like we did "Silent Way," um, "Black Satin on the Corner," oh, yeah. uh, "Mojo," um, et cetera, et cetera, and, and uh, "Salim" also, which is a, a Hermeto uh, composition. Um, and I think we had one rehearsal, and you know, David sent the music. But here's the thing, man: it was total chicken scratch. Like you, you, it was just almost unreadable. Whoa. And uh, so I had my assistant get the music together. I was like, man, I said, I need somebody to put this stuff into Sibelius or Finale or whatever. And uh, Those are music softwares. Yeah, music okay. software programs yeah. so that we could all read it. And uh, um, and that was the thing that really saved the gig, man, because otherwise, like, you're trying to read this stuff. Wait, where did this stuff come from? Like, he hand wrote it. Oh. You know, and maybe he's like, made copies over the years or made copies ah, of copies. Wow, okay. And, you know, and it's like, well, is that, a, is that a B or an A? What line is, is it on the space? Is You're it, like, you well, know? I appreciate archaeology. We got to play this gig. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so, so trying to decipher that stuff would be really, really difficult. And, uh, um, but, you know, I'm the kind of person that wants to go that extra mile because I want it to be right. I want it to be good. I want everybody to have the, the best chance to create and to to have a moment artistically, um, so it's sort of up to them. It's sort of up to you and your imagination uh, whether this is going to be successful, rather than you know trying to decipher something that's almost unreadable. Mm. You know, and uh, uh, did you consult anybody outside of Liebman? You know, for no, he he knew every. I mean, so so he and Julia went back and forth on this stuff. And uh, in making sure that it was that it was correct, mm. and uh, um, you know, and, and we had to go back and forth a number of times on the stuff. And, Isn't that uh, like a different mode for even like sort of the band leader? That's there's a it, am I is it is it right to say that there, there's a little bit going on and there's it seems like when I see any footage of that time, like in terms mm-hmm. of Miles, and obviously Miles is not around anymore, but I guess I'm saying like the way that bands were led and the way that that music was kind of conducted mm-hmm. uh in almost like sort of glances and on off switches you know um yeah. and um acute sort of um stops and starts to set new sort of dynamics or leaving an organ just hanging out for yeah. uh, for a long period of time um to sort of reset the i don't know the, I, I see a lot of sort of tactics i suppose in particularly that that if you consider that a style, you know. Well, I, you know, I, I, I know what you're saying, and I, and I think I have a couple of thoughts on that. One of which is that people were communicating. You know, uh, I remember somebody said, "Oh, oh, you know, Miles would turn his back to the audience," and I, and I think it was it was Keith Jarrett who said, 
Well, you know, he says, I never saw Miles turn his back to the audience. He says, but I did see Miles turn to face his band. <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's such a yeah. difference with that also to, mm-hmm. to, because, you know, when you're playing, your, your back is towards the other members of the group. You know, so like if we're having a conversation, you're turned around. I'm like, well, are we really having a conversation here? Mm-hmm. So it, it completely changes the 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 um, because the the burden is not on the paradigm of performance. The burden is on the paradigm of making music good. Right, right. <laughs> and so and, and so the thing like when you watch Miles, everybody's watching him like a hawk. And when he yeah. when he gestures, and Hermeto was this way also is this way. Uh, as well as other people, when when they gesture, people are tuned in, you know, and and so that's one of the things I talk with the students about is you have got to have nonverbal communication going on, you know. And my mom said that voice, mm. you know, and uh, and and so it wasn't like he could yell to the guys on stage; they had to really watch and and to to listen to what he was playing. And so I think that that some of those. Some of those things, he would just let the guys do what they do because he trusted them as artists and as musicians and as creators. And uh, but but you see also like in the Isle of Wight, there's there's a thing where where you can tell it's kind of it's drifting off like it is not necessarily happening anymore. And Miles comes in with a note. Boom. And suddenly they are like yeah, uber yeah. focused and it goes in this whole different direction. Mm. And uh um, and, and that that kind of thing is really fascinating to me to, to watch people um, that can really take a group in that direction. Well, that's the thing I think it's interesting because I've, I've played in a lot of different configurations and ways, and you, you you find yourself often, especially in sort of more experimental music realms or whatever, everything's very egalitarian to a fault. Yeah, like where where nothing is getting moved along because nobody is just sort of there's not enough taking the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to stay in the lead, but somebody's got to grab the reins and, sure. and, and, it, and that can still be part of the directionality of the conversation. But oftentimes when people are not versed in that, or it's just too, when there's just not enough focused or, or uh, intention about what's going on, sometimes that's great. Like you need that. Like, I think it's good to have kind of meandering conversations much like this one. Uh, mm-hmm. but no, um, but you know, it's like, um, you got to have somebody that's just asserting and then things can take form and it keeps the things going back and the the conversation going back and forth. Well, I think people desire a hierarchy, Mm -hmm. you know, even when you were talking about the grateful dead earlier, I mean, that was Jerry Garcia and then everybody, you know, he's kind of the front pin and everybody else is is the rest of the pins uh, behind him. And, uh, you know, so I think people desire that to an extent and, and and the reason for that, I think, is, you know, it's a whole other conversation entirely. But uh, um, with music or, or the arts, you know, I, I think that they want to, um, I think people want to be exposed to how somebody hears music or, or sees the world. And, uh, you know, when I was just in Japan and there was a, a Salvador Dali museum over there. With with a, a bunch of his sculpture, he had like I don't know, like fifty sculptures in this place. And it was a guy that that had um, these sports stores in Japan, and all his profits went to buying art. And uh, and so I think there's a total of like three hundred and seventy Dali pieces in this museum. Whoa! And uh, and, and it's super brilliant. And uh, um, but obviously, like you know, there were people around him that were helping and and. Um, Gala also, you know, being his muse and, 
and how important she was in his life. But but he's the guy that we really focus on, you know. And and with Dave Matthews Band, it's Dave Matthews. It's his band. You well, know. I thought that was just a name that you were kind of <laughs> like. Do you ever talk to the the whoever's running the stage plots and just be like, "Look, you got to nudge me up another company just tonight." <laughs> If, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm in this band for another three years, I will be in front of Dave in three years. <laughs> just it's one like, inch at a time. Just make it just can't it's be like obvious. Three inches a gig. You know? <laughs> Slightly towards the center, and then one one day Dave turns around. I was like, "Here's the trajectory." You. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> no, um, but no, they, exactly. I mean, and that's that's why I, th- I find so I find this is ultimately a contradiction or a paradox or some sort of a problem. Mm. And I, I, there's a lot more to sort of figure out there. But basically, I'm telling you that. You know, it's, you know, anybody can see that the, like the way our government is set up is problematic. Sure. Everybody can see that things are not functioning as optimally as they should be functioning. And a lot of it is because of the way that these roles and hierarchies are set up. Mm-hmm. And then, then you look at something like, you know, where, uh, other large organized groups have had a lot of great challenges, um, keeping it together and then there's just these these evolutionary rises and falls of uh empires everything has these natural hierarchies and then this irrational tendency to sort of grow nobody ever stops growing or mm-hmm. expanding or it's it's mm-hmm. always you know we have we're, we're stuck with the primordial more just disease and we're just always going to have mm-hmm. that so it's almost like the 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 hierarchical model in any shape or form has like some sort of limitation to it mm. And so it's it's necessary, I think, for structural integrity and survival in in the sort of near term and sort of where we are now. And mm. even though we think it's nuts that there's 300 million people here, and it is at least in this country, um, you know, I think that I don't know. I just I, there's more questions that need to get asked, or ultimately maybe these answers will come just by you know how things eventually work in the world where stuff just goes way south or some some cataclysmic event happens where it's like, Oh yeah, I remember I was concerned about marketing, <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my, like I used to be concerned about this thing called marketing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting when I travel, I, I like to go to museums. I like to go to, to, to places that house artifacts mm. and, uh, um, and, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not a hoarder. I don't like have all these old things and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, but the, I think the thing that's most fascinating to me about that is, is the things that exist from a culture that exist through time, you know, and, and it's always the arts. Mm. It always has to do with stuff that people made, um, sort of documenting the cultures. Like I was looking at this, I've got this really cool book on, on Africa, um, Sub-Sahara Africa and, and these different tribal areas, it's probably the first time people had ever been there with cameras, you know, in these crazy tribal masks. I mean, stuff that that if you saw, you would think this is a different planet, you know, and, and just these ornate um, dances and the way that people are dressed, the jewelry, the beading. Um, again, these crazy masks that are, you know, eight or nine feet tall. Um, and this is not like secondary stuff that people do at the fair. This is the way people this is, live. This, this is, is the way people live. And right. Everything they do is set to serve these yeah. rituals and, and mm-hmm. all of these uh, yep. crafts and things yeah. that they're using to support it. And, and, and that doesn't really exist much anymore. You know, we celebrate that sometimes. Like you go to, to Carnival or, or if you go to Mardi Gras and, 
um, you know, you can find these things in some different places, but it's very different. Everything has become much more homogenized and, and, um, well, we're in the age of even tactile low. things are novel. Yeah. Right. You, you know, yeah. It, like uh, vinyl records being fetishized now in this way that, you know, or things like that or, right. where it's just like, you know, and, and I have to wonder how long something like that is going to last. I mean, you think about, you know, the, the fact that, that vinyl, okay. So vinyls kind of made a, a bit of a comeback, which is great. I mean, it's, it sounds better, you know, it sounds better than, but it's more natural and it's more natural. Of course, it's got more breath to it and more breadth. And, um, you've got something physically touching something else, creating a sound mm. and, uh, you have to get up and, and actually move to, to put a record on or to move the needle over to mm -hmm. take it off or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, but I wonder also, like I'm thinking, okay, what about, you know, five years down the road Yeah. and, uh, you know, somebody has a big vinyl collection and they're getting ready to move. <laughs> There's you gonna know? be some, un yeah. I, I know what you're saying. It's sort of like, um, you know, I remember going to like my friend's house when he would have his. He's like, man, your dad has 600 VHS tapes. Mm -hmm. Where are those things now? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so times change and in, in, in the paradigm shift. My record collection sitting right here. So I know. Well, it's in a nice case. You I, know, and and you see and, that cameo but record. But here's the thing, man. Like, y you don't have a ton of records. Yeah. You know, you've got a, a fair amount. Yeah. And uh um it's heavy. It's heavy and it's it's hard to transport and over time, you know, I have some very rare Ferris Sanders records I should show you. Yeah, I want to see those. Okay. Um and, but, but but that stuff yeah. is going to exist online. You know, most of it probably already does. And and my point is that that it's going to have to get better online. It it has to. Mm. Because MP3s are terrible. Yeah. They're super compressed, and you lose about 80% of the information that's there. Mm -hmm. You know, I bought some really great speakers. I bought some PMC speakers from my studio last year, and it's a total game changer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I can listen to stuff and hear things that yeah. that you would never hear anywhere else. I know that feeling, too, where you're like, now I have to go back and re—you're like, oh, wait, I got to go here. You're like, I just want to listen to a Love Supreme. I've heard that record a million times, but right. not like this. Not like this, yeah. Right. right? Yeah, I love that. But it is sort of disheartening where everything's just— uh, definitely we're in a stage where it's the first time where everything, where anything went backwards in terms mm -hmm. of fidelity for the sake right. of um, right. portability. Yeah. But I think that, I think that we're about to enter into a new, a whole new realm. I think I mean, so too. I think that with, um, you know, virtual reality and these things that I almost hate saying the word virtual reality. Cause it just seems like I've been hearing about virtual reality since I was a kid or whatever. Uh -huh. It just seems like some kooky sort of IMAX trip. But there's real, real, real things going on in there, and and yeah. and, and, and uh, I think that the the potential to make things a lot more um, experiential and uh, f more immersive are going to completely counter the. I mean, like what's going to happen is like right now you're making very good points. Like yes, MP3s are a lossy format. Mm -hmm. You're losing all this sort of um, high uh, dynamic range that mm. even if it's just capturing the sound of the air in the room, right. you're losing that and everything gets sort of squashed dynamically and there's a lot of problems there. But I mean, you're just listening to it through two speakers. So there's right. that, you know, but then it's like, well, what's the answer to that? We've been raised with whatever these fledgling, you know, quadraphonic and surround and, and then those things were made to, to be, you know, so stereo is sort of like the, 
the sort of like, you know, those plastic viewfinder viewmasters, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. as a kid, like that's what that stuff's going to, two speakers and a, and a CD or you know, a record are going to be like viewmaster in, right. in 15 years. It's going to be like, Oh my God. Yeah. If you, you know, like I have that Victrola downstairs, it'll be like that. Yeah. Um, like, Hey, this is a novel nostalgia inducing sort of cute experiment yeah. that you're doing here with your little thing that I'm so glad that that works still. I'm sure you've had it repaired a lot, but check this out. You know, it's going to be like, right. Oh my God. I didn't even understand. You're talking about like the sort of the goosebumps. Yeah. There's going to be stuff where it's like, yeah. I mean, I think that that sound and, and there are cases where this, this has occurred, but the sound is going to capture or, or going to catch up rather, um, at, with the level that we are at visually, mm. you know? Yeah. But it said also that we get 80% of our information, through our visual sense. Yeah, and the rest through just Facebook and Twitter. Facebook and Twitter, that's right. About 10, 10% each, I think. <laughs> hey, man, so we should probably wrap it up because I know you got places to be and, and things and all that stuff. But um, um, maybe just uh, for the sake of the... First of all, anybody that's listened this far, thank you. And this has been, yeah. this has been a super fun thing to do. And, um, you know, talk about like sort of getting through the fear, like the idea of me sort of doing anything where I've always hidden behind aliases and, mm-hmm. you know, obfuscation. I don't want my face on anything like, I'm, you know, so right. for me to like put my voice forward on this is like, OK, I'm going to do that now. Right. Uh, so I'm honored that you were here. It means a lot. Well, and, but but at the same time, yeah. too, I mean, that we're in the bathroom and you're in the tub with the shirt and curtain yeah. uh, closed. You can't even really tell. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's yeah. sort of Franny and Dewey here going on. <laughs> I'm not sure who's which, but uh, yeah, like you I, know, I, but was, I get it. I get it. No one can see your terry cloth tank top. <laughs> <laughs> Remember terry cloth? I do. Um, I do. But anyway, so but we went to fourth grade together. <laughs> I played tennis with terry cloth. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, anyway, tell people where they can find all your things. Uh, well, they just go to my website. Go to jeffcoffin.com. Okay, and uh, there's you know there's links to everything there. Um, I've got a saxophone book out. It's called the saxophone book. Is it shaped like a saxophone? Part of the cover is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, but that's the saxophone book.com. <laughs> that's awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. I try to keep it pretty simple. Uh, <laughs> and uh, if you want to find me, just do a search for Jeff Coffin online and all that stuff will pop up. Awesome. And then where are you playing next? Uh, I'm doing New Year's with Humphreys McGee in Denver, and then I'll be at the uh, Jazz Education Network Conference. I might be going to Peru right after that. I'm doing some stuff in Maine, actually, be- before I go to Peru. Sounds like a good thing to do and, right uh, before Peru. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I'll be at the NAM show, and uh, then I've got education stuff, um, you know, all through February and, and March and some gigs. Might be going to Italy in April. Dave Matthews tour starts back up in May. We'll be and then I, and hitting then May through September. Gone. That's gonna be a long yeah. run, huh? Yeah, probably. I mean, we usually have August off, so it's you know, it's not they're not trying to kill anybody. Not yet. I mean, they, they won't admit it anyway. You know. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that seems like I don't know how you keep up, man. Like you, you got to take care of yourself, right? Like you, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah, you yeah. got to try to try to eat well and get as much rest as possible and. And uh, it's hard, man. I, I'm not lying to you. It's 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 hard to be on the road. If you ever want and advice then, on just sort of how to hold down a soul sucking full time job, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 no, I, I love my job, um, and all the people there, because one of them might actually listen to this one day. Um, but anyway, hey, listen. Um, thank you again thank so you, much. You're welcome. And um, and honestly, um, we got to do this again. Bring some. Bring For sure. some. You know. 
you got. We can have of, a round table you, of people. You got a lot of weird friends, Jeff. And, <laughs> I do. And I'm proud to be one of them. You are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. All right. See you in a minute. All right. You want to tell? <laughs> Okay, guys, I love the Art Fight podcast, and I listen to every episode even though I am a robot trying to sound like an actual person. I know it takes a lot to keep the podcast going. How can I help? Go to anchor.fm forward slash Art Fight Podcast. Click on the button, the big old button that says support this podcast. And once you get there, you'll have three options. You can just choose the lowest level. You're going to pledge 99 cents a month to, to our production and, and help us out. Again, anchor.fm forward slash art fight podcast. Click on support this podcast. All right. Thanks, everyone.